Oh man, well, it's great to see you guys. Welcome from me as well this evening. And um, I hope that you're going to stay with us afterwards and enjoy um, the barbecue. If you want to follow what we're doing this evening, we're in the book of James. Feel free to grab a Bible from the back. We're in James chapter 1. We began a little series on James a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, I'm continuing a, the end of chapter 1 this evening, verses 19 through to 27. So let me just begin by reading this to you. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save souls. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, then you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free... And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, for your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You know, one of the... um, one of the things that I love about the letter of James is it's really a manual for becoming a mature Christian. It's, it's a, an A to Z of how to live our faith out, what it means to be a follower of Christ today. And we're all called to grow in Christian maturity There's often a wrong understanding in the church. People think that the longer someone has been a Christian, the more mature they are. And that really isn't true. You can be a very immature Christian after 40 years of following Christ. And you can be a very mature Christian after following him for a very short time. There's a huge difference in our determination in life of what we will do to uh, grow in our faith in Christ. For us to become mature Christians, it requires hard work. It requires digging into God's word. It requires understanding it. It requires uh, discussing it with others. It requires living it out. It requires risk in our own lives. It requires stepping outside of our comfort zone again and again and again. Becoming a mature Christian is a decision that we all have to take. And, and what James talks about is what it means to become a mature Christian. And he calls us to positive action. This is what it means. This is what it means to be a mature Christian. I remember a number of years ago, now it wasn't that long ago, but having a discussion with the PCC here. Uh, Barry was on it at the time. Uh, the PCC is like the church council we meet and sort of, you know, discuss things of where we're doing and what we're doing as a church. It's an important group. And um, we had this big debate and they said to me, Mark, we need, we need 
more teaching to help us understand more. And uh, I remember being in slight tension with people because I said, well, when we start doing what we already know, then we can go further. But if we don't do what we know, there's no point in going further. It's like, we know this much, but if we're not living that out yet, what's the point in knowing more? Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, uh, I could teach you more, but, but if we're not doing this, this little bit here, that I, I don't think we go far wrong if we follow the greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first one. And then to love your neighbor as yourself with the second one. Has anybody here got that fully sorted yet in their lives? I thought you were going to put your hand up then, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to grow in that, what that means, how that works out, what that looks like, what does it mean to love God with everything that we are? What does it mean to follow him with everything we are? What does it mean to love our neighbor? What does it mean to stretch a hand out to those in need? What does it mean to walk with the wounded? What does it mean to offer help to the hurting? What does it mean in life for my life and, and my agenda? For the things that I've got going on in my own heart? What does that mean? How does that work out? Uh, what is it that's driving us to do what we're doing? What is the motivation behind our lifestyle, the values that we have and the choices that we make? And James speaks straight into that. He speaks into that. He says that the first thing you've got to do in your lives, if you're going to live as God wants you to live, is to eliminate immorality. That's the first thing he says, really. He says, look, if you're going to, if you're going to grow as a mature Christian, you're to live a life that reflects the Savior that you follow. I thought, um, how many people watched the uh, service at St. Paul's Cathedral with the Queen the other day? How many people watched that? Okay, quite a lot. Quite a few of you didn't see it. The, the um, uh, Archbishop uh, of Canterbury was speaking, and far be it from a humble monk like myself to make comments on the Archbishop's talk, but, but he, I thought he did a very good talk, actually. Oh, that was a, a terrific talk. But he just didn't tip it far enough for me. It's like he said, you know, he said of the Queen, he said that she was someone who served and honoured people and did the right thing the whole time. And that is so true. And I couldn't be more of a royalist. Anybody a Republican here, I'll happily chat with you afterwards, but I'm a total royalist. I love the royal family. I love what goes on. I think the Queen is absolutely fantastic. The Archbishop reflected who the Queen was. But the Queen reflects her saviour. There's no greater compliment in life than imitating someone you follow. And she reflects her saviour. I'm going to ask another question. How many people heard the Queen's speech on Christmas Day last year? Did you? Okay. Not, not loads of people. She preached the gospel in that Queen's speech. She preached the gospel. Okay. I've been having conversations with a significant number of bishops recently for all sorts of reasons. And uh, in conversation and communication with some of the bishops, this is what I heard. She was with the uh, Bishop of Ely. And uh, uh, this was, this is secondhand, okay, so you can't go quote this to everybody, but this is her conversation. 
Uh, he says, she said, he said, she said, that as she's toured the country, she's noticed that Christians were losing confidence in the gospel. So she chose at Christmas to preach the gospel, to put confidence back into the hearts of Christians that they would pre- continue to preach the gospel. That's a queen word. She's marvelous, isn't she? That's a queen worth having. She wanted to put confidence into us. She's imitating her saviour. Anyway, I'm going to go back to the archbishop now. And he was speaking and he complimented her. It was fantastic. But he didn't say, and the queen imitates her saviour. Which is exactly what she's doing with her life. He could have said that. He could have just popped the gospel in there to the billion people that were listening. If I'd been speaking, I would have done. I heard there's a position free for the Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> so I'm growing a beard in anticipation that they might ask me, that I might look a little wiser than I did before. It's not real. But, but the, no, it is real. It's not, I'm not doing that. But it, the, you know, that there, is a need, there is a need to present the gospel. This is what it means. And we in our lives are to reflect our saviour. And James says, this is how you reflect your saviour. This is how your life will look like his life. And if your life looks like his life, you can point people to him. You can say, well, this is why I do what I do. This is who I follow. One of the things I like about uh, this letter of James is, is there are loads of parallels between the letter of James and the Gospel of Matthew. Loads of parallels. It's littered with it throughout the whole thing. Not surprisingly, because of who James was. But he tells the story again and again. Um, uh, he says this, believers to rejoice in trials, James 1, 2, Matthew 5, 12. Believers are to be perfect and complete, James 1, 4, Matthew 5, 48. Believers to encourage to ask God because he loves to give. James 1, 5, Matthew 7, 7. Believers should expect testing and be prepared to endure it after, after which they will receive a reward. James 1, 12, Matthew 24, 13. Believers are not to be angry. James 1, 20, Matthew 5, 22. But faith and action go together in such a way that actions are the proof of true faith. James 2, 14, Matthew 7, 16 to 19. I could go on. There are loads of them. The book of James, the letter of James, reflects the synoptic gospels. They reflect the story of Christ. And what James has done is he's taken the story of Christ's life and the teaching of Christ, and he said, and this is how we're to live it out. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. There are six different James in Scripture, if you look them all up. Three of them are... Uh, significantly in the New Testament, the only James that could have written this would have been James, the brother of Jesus. And you can imagine Jesus' little brother trying to work out what it meant for his faith to be a follower of Christ when Christ was his big brother. Now that's a journey to follow, isn't it? It's like, Okay, I'm supposed to worship this guy who is apparently the son of God, but he's my big brother. You know, there's, a, there's something going on here. And, and I think that his working out of that and his closeness 
to the Gospel of Matthew is significant in that, in that he draws from his brother's teaching the whole time. He draws on what his brother uh, has said. The first part of the chapter we looked at a couple of weeks ago has talked about us getting our lives right with God. We need to be aware, he says, of our own personal faith. We need to be aware of what it means to live a life of faith. He says this in verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised for them. He says, if you stay faithful, you know, in, um, in Romans, it talks about Abraham's faith in Romans uh, 4 and 5. And, and uh, it, it, it talks about Abraham being faithful to God despite the things that happened to him. He said even when it looked like he should give up, even when things weren't working out, he remained faithful. He continued to hold on to his faith in God. That's what James is talking about here. He says, look, whatever goes on, even if you hit tough times, hold on to your faith. And he begins this evening bringing out a couple of points. In the first few verses, he begins by arguing that we're to receive the word with humility. Don't speak in anger, he says. I want to look at that a little bit. And then he goes on uh, to say that simply hearing the word but not putting it into action is without any value at all. He says you're not just to listen to it, but put it into action. Live it out with your life. That's how you become mature. We become mature by putting it into action. So let's just have a look. Verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. James begins with this sort of proverb. He says, look, take note of this. Write this down. This is really important in our lives. This is wisdom that we can uh, listen to. Everyone should be slow to speak and slow to become angry, but quick to listen. Now, Proverbs 29, 20 says this, Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is no hope for a fool like him. It's an encouraging proverb, isn't it? Do you see the person who speaks quickly? who answers quickly, who comes back with a retort, he says, there's no hope for a fool like him. Be slow, be slow, be uh, uh, someone who considers the words that we use. Jesus says this, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they've spoken. I wonder if James had that in mind when he wrote that. My brother says, We'll have to give account for every word. So be slow to come back with a word. Be slow to say things. Be quick to listen and give others uh, value. Why is he pressing this point home here? Why is he doing this? In the context of this letter, he's writing uh, to the churches together. And the churches, a few things, the churches have become divided on a number of issues. Uh, some people saw the church as a means of um, displaying their wealth to others and exercising power over others. They, they'd become this divided group with little cliques. And he said, that's not how it's supposed to be. 
We're actually supposed to be all one. A multi-generational, multi-racial, multi-coloured, complex church. That's how we're supposed to be. That's what God created us to be like in this wonderful world in which he placed us. But the church that James is writing to had become divided. Others saw the church as a place of fellowship. It was a place to uh, be themselves, to gather in, to hunker down, to do unto one another, to support one another. And they denied the centrality of Jesus' teaching that says, go love your neighbor as yourself. Go take this out. Go stretch a hand out to others. One of, one of the things that I loved the other week was when we did um, the little street thing here for our neighbors. Um, uh, just the fact that, that uh, we were going, let's love our neighbors. Let's invite all our neighbors for cream tea. It was really great. And everybody came and they're going like, you know, can we pay for this? And we go, no, you don't need to pay for it. It's all free. We just like you to enjoy it together. And um, I've had a little gentle stream of emails this week from the neighbors on Ridley Avenue and Green Avenue and uh, Northcroft here saying, can't thank the church enough. Would there be any possibility of doing that sort of thing again and gathering us all together? You think, it's so easy really, isn't it, to love your neighbor. Just to go out and say, we're interested in you. But, but not just those who live just around this building. That's not just our neighbors there. Who's the person who sits across from you at work? Or, or, or in the classroom? Or at college? Who's the person who you work alongside? Who's the person you study alongside? That's your neighbor. It's not just your physical neighbor. It's the person that you connect with. All the people around you, they're your neighbors. They're the ones we're told to go and love. And, and, and here the church here said, we, we're just, we, they become a little Puritan-like. We need to just look after ourselves. Exclude anybody else who might bring something in that, that we shouldn't have in the church. And, and James is going, it's not about that. He's saying it's about putting your faith into action. Taking it out. Letting others know the light that's in you, the, the fire that burns within you, the reason that you live and move and have your being. And still others in the church he's writing to had shown favoritism to certain people. And James is saying there is an equality in the Christian life that says we are all on the same level. This is who we are. This is how we are. There's to be no favoritism. There's to be no them and us. We, we, we come as one, as one family together, seeking after God. There's some of the issues that have been facing them. So he says, he says, look, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In other words, don't be divided. Receive the word with humility rather than speak in anger. Let everyone be quick to listen. I wonder... Uh, listen to what? I, I think there are a couple of things here. Uh, James ta actually talks about human anger. He says you must be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger, he says. I think that um, listening 
on a human level brings healing in people's lives. Just listening. So often we're not listened to. Do you ever find that? We're not listened to. We're busy. I'm not really a fan of the headphones that everybody wears these days. Earphones, they call them. I'm not a fan of those. Because I think we go around in our own little worlds. And we don't connect with people. And we've stopped hearing what's going on. We pretend nothing else is going on. We're just going to listen to what's going on around us. I mentioned the other day, I... I so love going on the tube. I smile at people on the tube. They all think, weirdo. But you know, I smile at all these people and, and I try and have conversations with them. And every now and again, someone will look at me rather annoyed and take their ear thing out and say, can I help you? And I'll say, I'm just saying hello, actually. You know, I'm busy listening to music. It's like, well, there are people here. You know, we are alive. You know, we, we live in the same city. I mean, I don't say that, but that's what I think. You know, I think we're, can, we should be community. Because when there's a big problem, everybody says, aren't we an amazing community? When bombs go off in London, everybody rolls up sleeves and helps everybody else. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we created that community normally? That's what we're designed to be like. And part of the way of doing that is to listen to one another. We live in a world that speaks to us without us having an opportunity to come back. The radio speaks to us. CDs speak to us. iPods speak to us. Telephones speak to us. The television speaks to us. We're used to being spoken at, but not being listened to. But to listen to somebody gives them real worth. To listen to somebody says, you're worth hearing. I value your contribution. I value what you've got inside. I value what's going on in in there, in your heart, as well as in your head. I wonder how many relationships would have been saved if people's points of view were listened to and heard. You can imagine James thinking in a situation that he's writing to here, where they're having these debates, and he's saying, just listen to one another. Listen to the point of view of the other person. Just listen. And in listening, healing will come. Now, I'll just tell you a little secret here. A few, well, it was about, it was a long time ago actually now. Um, that's not saying it doesn't happen anymore. But um, my wife and I were having an argument. doesn't happen very often, but you know, we were having one of those robust discussions. And um, we had people coming to stay. I don't know, can't tell you who it was or why they were coming, but they were coming and we had to go and make beds up and all that sort of thing, you know. And we had this discussion in the kitchen and then the, the discussion got a little heated and we walked up the stairs having the discussion. And then we were making the beds having the discussion, you know, and it was like it's getting a bit heated here. And um, she was saying something and then I was saying something very quickly and then she was saying something very quickly and, and it got to the point where we were both saying stuff, and I was thinking, I don't know, I can't remember why we're arguing or what we're arguing about. And I thought that maybe that's just me, and she'll make the point in a minute to remind me why we're arguing about whatever we're arguing about, because we'd left that subject, whatever it was, a long time ago, at least 10 minutes before. And here we were having this discussion, and we'd been on this little 
thing. We've been on this um, uh, marriage prep thing. We've been married 29 years this year, so a bit long in the tooth, really, for that. But we've been on this marriage prep thing when we first got engaged. And and, uh, they said, if you ever have one of these... um, uh, argument. She said, what, what you must do is you must give the other person a cushion and you're not allowed to speak until they give you the cushion back. And we are making these beds, you see. We're making these beds. And um, uh, Lindsay, I, I remembered this thing, you see. So I was filling a, a pillow with a pillowcase and I gave her the pillow to her and then I stood back and waited, you see. And she uh, had a little chat with me, and uh, uh, after about, because uh, I didn't say anything back, after about 20 seconds, she ran out of things to say, and she realized what I'd done, so she gave me the pillow, and I said, I held the pillow, and I said, I can't remember what we're arguing about, <laughs> and it, it was hilarious, we, we ended up you know, in stitches together, just going, no, she couldn't remember either, and I was rather relieved about that. So we had this sort of, you know. But actually, do you know what it took? It took about 30 seconds just to hear. Just listen. Stop speaking. Just stop for a moment. Just, Just stop what we're doing and listen to the other person. James is saying that. He says, look, a mature Christian is someone who will give the other space and give them opportunity to speak. A- and you value what they're saying. And in so doing, you'll be a person of peace. You'll bring peace into a relationship. You'll bring peace into a home. You'll bring peace the whole time if you will do that. Listen to one another. So I wonder... I wonder if there have been friendships that you've had that have broken down because maybe you, you haven't listened or you haven't been listened to, or relationships. Or there have been issues with colleagues or strangers. Listening takes time. So often we live life in too much of a rush. So there's the human side, but I also think there's the God side. To take time to listen to God. To be still. Psalm 46 verse 10, isn't it? Be still and know. Just to stop and be still. Just to stop for a moment. And think, isn't God good? I went for a bike ride this afternoon. And um, I was on my own, so I was able to just do what I wanted to do. And I stopped by the River Thames. And just stopped and watched people for about ten minutes. As I was stopping and watching people, actually, I was thinking... My wife thinks I am cycling hard at this very moment. This does feel good. But I just stopped and, and watched. And, you know, just watching and, and uh, uh, for my pure pleasure, a heron landed within about 20 feet of me. And I stood there and thought, oh, that's marvelous. I love, I'm, I love watching birds. I thought, that's marvelous. And I just stood and watched. And you just think, the beauty of creation. Haven't we got an amazing God? Just stop. I was talking to someone uh, on Friday who's talking about taking a sabbatical and was saying, you know, what must I do on my sabbatical? And had all these different things planned out. And I said, well, he said, what did you do on your sabbatical? I took a sabbatical. I took about, I took about seven weeks off, about I don't know how many years ago now. It was, it was a long time ago. 
And um, I said, well, I sort of didn't do the sort of study stuff. We just sort of went to Canada on holiday. I said, and just enjoyed the beauty of creation. And God spoke probably more through that than if I'd been stuck in a college library learning something new. Just stop. Stop thinking we've got to keep inputting and stop. Just stop. Stop with those that you love. Stop. Give them time. Stop Stop with those that you'd like to build a relationship with. Choose to go out for a coffee with them. Just stop. The world will not fall apart if you don't achieve that little thing before you end the day. You know, you can shut your computer down and it's just like magic. When you open it again, the same stuff is there that was on there when you shut it down. It hasn't gone away. And it, and, and it doesn't mind that you haven't finished it. You can just then do it. I did it a couple of years ago. It was a few years ago. I, I, got, I had rather a lot of emails. It gone way over, about 2,000. And I, I, my inbox, I was looking at it, I was just awful. So I sat at my desk one day, I got to the bottom of them, I just hit the delete button and watched them going like that all the way up. They just deleted the whole lot. And I sat back after about 20 minutes and I thought, that's the best 20 minutes work I've ever done. They've all gone. And if anything was urgent, I'm sure they'd let me know. And I went and had a cup of tea. Just stop. Few people did email me afterwards and said, why hadn't I replied? I said, oh, I must have lost your email somewhere. Deleted by mistake. But it, 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 just stop. Just stop. Stop and listen to God. Stop and listen to others. And by doing so, we become mature Christians. But he goes on. He doesn't just say that. He, he, he says, don't just stop, but don't, don't just listen. He says, but don't become angry. You know, human anger does us no good at all. Um, words are so powerful, aren't they, when they are spoken. Um, human anger um, does damage to the person that you are angry with. I, I'm probably not the only one who in my life has got angry when I shouldn't have got angry. There's probably others of you in here who've done that. Maybe some of you have never done it, but I've done it. I've got angry when I shouldn't have got angry. And I still sometimes live with the, the debris of that in my own life. I, 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 others have probably way forgotten it, way forgotten it. But I live with the debris in my own life. Remember my oldest daughter, uh, I got very angry with her when she was about three, I think. And it, for me, it's like, a, she's 23 now. For me, it's like, you know, I just still live it. Every now and again in the night, I dream about it, and I wake up in a sweat. And I was looking after her. She was a three-year-old. She was a little three-year-old child. But she would not eat her tea. And uh, I asked her to eat her tea, eat her tea, eat her tea. And she wouldn't eat it. And uh, we had this little thing going, you see. And in the end, I was washing up. I turned around to her, and I said, Just eat your tea! A little louder than that. And with her bottom lip quivering, she spooned the food in as quickly as she could. And I turned and was washing up and thinking, I had tears pouring down my face. I was thinking, what have I just done? I confessed it to her about five years ago. I said, do you remember that time? She said, oh, God, I've got no idea, Dad. Uh, I still live with it. 
When we get angry with someone else, it does us damage and them damage. Fortunately, my daughter's got a poor memory, so she forgets that event. But, but, but you know, we just do damage if we get angry. You ever got angry? Pause. Stop. Listen. Take a breath. Count to ten. And then respond in a measured and mature Christian way that we reflect our Saviour in everything that we do. And he says this in verse 22. He says, he goes on, doesn't he? And he says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and you walk away and you forget what you look like. Do what it says, he says. God's word planted in each one of us. God's word is the Ten Commandments. God's word is valuing other people. God's word is looking out for others. God's word is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. God's word is loving your neighbor as yourself. It's if we listen to God's word, we'll allow it to shape our lives. It will shape us. I am amazed. We're doing the Bible in the year together at the moment as a church family. If you're not doing that, pick one up today. You can have a free pass up until now, but pick one up today and go home and start doing it. And, and as we do this, I'm amazed how again and again and again the reading for that day shapes something of my life that day, shapes something of a conversation that day. He says, let God's word dwell within you. But don't just listen to it. Put it into action. Do you remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, the cloud came down in Mark chapter 9 and enveloped them all and a voice from the cloud said this, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to his word. Let his word shape you. Listen to him. Give him time. Allow God's spirit to direct your path and life uh, in, in, in all that you are. Stop and listen. Listen to the word of God and then put it into action. I guess we all fail at this often in our own lives, and uh, uh, even though if we don't want to fail. But, but, you know, God calls us to be people who choose to mature in Christ. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I think... That's an attractive person that James is talking about. I would like to be someone who is always quick to listen to others. The challenge is that's a mature Christian approach. Or maybe I should be like that then. I'd like to be someone who's always slow to anger. Oh, that's a mature Christian approach. I I need to work on that then. I need to be someone who is... um, uh, Slow to speak. Uh, That's a mature Christian approach. I need to do that. I need to be someone who lets his word dwell within me and shape my life. I like the sound of this person. James says this is Christian maturity. It doesn't happen because you've been a Christian for 40 years. I I could personally introduce you to some Christians who've been Christians for 40 years, who are some of the grumpiest, unhappy people in the world. And, and you, you know, you just want to say, just 
let something of the light of Christ be seen on your face. You know, because they look so grumpy the whole time. You know? Do you realize you're saved? Do you realize God loves you? Do you realize you're included in a worldwide family? Do you realize that God's on your side? Do you realize what you've got going for you? You know, in their response, I wouldn't dare to say such a thing, but you feel as though their response would be you, you know. When we choose to mature, you can be a Christian of four months and you can choose to mature, and very quickly you can overtake someone who has been a Christian many years but has not chosen to look at the Word of God and then put it into action. But if we do that, God's light will shine in our lives. I'm going to stop there. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd like to um, pray. I'd like us to pray because I think often in our lives words have been spoken over us or spoken to us that have hurt us. Probably everybody in this room has had things said to them or said over them that has caused hurt. It doesn't matter how young you are. Children say things that are terribly hurtful to one another. You know, it starts It starts when they're you know, three or four, doesn't it? Oh, you're not my friend anymore, you know. They start excluding them from, you're not coming to my party, you know, all that sort of stuff. You hear it, it's like, where did that come from? You know, you're, for goodness sake, you're three years old, you know. Invite everybody, look, you know. But all of a sudden, this stuff gets in. And, and, and when, when, if it gets in when you're three, goodness knows what happens when you're 23. So we have stuff that's spoken over us. And I suspect that people here, even tonight, have had stuff that's spoken over you that is not true of you, but has scarred you in life. I'd like us to pray for that. And I'd also like to pray um, for those who feel they're not listened to, not given your value in life. Everybody in this room has huge value and something worth sharing you need to be listened to you need to have someone who will hear that's why counsellors and therapists are such busy people they wouldn't be busy if only their people's friends would listen to them people just need to be listened to just listen to and lives get healed but also so, so words spoken to you not being listened to, but also uh, anger in our lives. If you feel you've got anger, or you've had people angry with you, and you'd like to get rid of that, you want to choose, like James invites us to, to not just listen to the word, but put it into action. We'd love to pray for you this evening, that God's anger, that your, your anger or others' anger towards you would melt away. And that even from tonight, you'd be a different person. Is that okay? Can we stand?